0: <clears throat> when lefty stabbed hefty amen uh, it's a good title it's not mine it's definitely from someone else but it's just too good to pass up so when lefty stabbed hefty i'm sure we may reach a point when you won't be able to say either one of those words because there'll be some form of hate crime i'm, I'm guessing. <clears throat> But, alright, so Judges in chapter 3, okay, and we're, we're, we've, we've done with Othniel, and that's, that's verse, the first judge, verses 8 through 11, now we're going to start in verse 12, verse 12. And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. And we'd have to assume, because it says again, that it's the same evil that they've been plagued with for the first judge, etc. Okay? It's not going to repeat this for every judge. Some of it, it, it wants us to remember that this is what they did, and they're doing it again, so it doesn't do the whole thing all over again. So, and the children of Israel, Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. And he gathered unto him the children of Ammon and Amalek, and went and smote Israel, and possessed the city of palm trees. That's Jericho. So the children of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab, 18 years. But when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, the Lord raised them up a deliverer. So the Lord raised them up a deliverer. Ehud the son of Gera, a Benjamite, a man left-handed. And by him the children of Israel sent a present unto Eglon, the king of Moab. The word present there meaning tribute. Okay, So they're subservient to another king, another country, they're bringing him tribute. Okay, Verse 16. But Ehud made him a dagger which had two edges of a cubit length and he did gird it under his raiment under his right i'm sorry upon his right thigh so it's under his raiment on his right thigh and he brought the present unto Eglon king of Moab and Eglon Eglon was a very fat man and when he had made an end to offer the present he sent away the people that bear the present but he himself turned again from the quarries that were by Gilgal and said I have a secret errand unto thee, O king, who said, Keep silence. And all that stood by him went out from him. A lot of intrigue going on here. Verse 20, And Ehud came unto him, and he was sitting in a summer parlor, which he had for himself alone. And Ehud said, I have a message from God unto thee. And he, referencing Eglon, he arose out of his seat. And Ehud put forth his left hand and took the dagger from his right thigh and thrust it into his belly. And the haft also went in after the blade. The haft, you know, where he would hold. And the fat closed upon the blade so that he could not draw the dagger out of his belly. And the dirt came out. Then Ehud went forth through the porch and shut the doors of the parlor upon him and locked them. When he was gone out, his servants came, and when they saw that, behold, the doors of the parlor were locked. They said, Surely he covereth his feet in a summer chamber. And they tarried till they were ashamed, and behold, he opened not the doors of the parlor. Therefore they took a key and opened them, and behold, their Lord was fallen down dead on the earth. And Ehud escaped while they tarried. And passed beyond the quarries, and escaped unto Sirath. And it came to pass when he was come that he blew a trumpet in the mountain of Ephraim, and the children of Israel went down with him from the mount, and he before them. And he said unto them, Follow after me, for the Lord hath delivered your enemies, the Moabites, into your hand. And they went down after him, and took took the fords of Jordan toward Moab, and suffered that doesn't mean they drove cars. Okay. Fords where they crossed the river. Just make sure we connect the dots there. Took the fords of Jordan toward Moab and suffered not a man to pass over. And they slew of Moab at that time about 10,000 men, all lusty, stout, and all men of valor. And there escaped not a man. So Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel and the land had rest four score years. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you very much for the day. We thank you, Lord, for the story. And we ask now that you'd bless as we uh, walk through it. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. <clears throat> Again, I want to repeat this. And is that the, the cycle that gets us here and gets us out is the same every judge. Okay? So much of what is true for Athniel is going to be true for Ehud, is going to be true for Shamgar, which we get all of one verse on. Um, in other words, there's a negative message and a positive message. You know, the negative message being that they sinned, God has to punish them, and, but God also in his mercy provides a deliverer. So Israel sins, God, God punishes them. Uh, he literally, in this instance, places, the, the, places them in the hands of the king of Moab. Now this is a little interesting, because Moab is not... He's, Moab is not part of the, land, the promised land. Okay, so if, if, if you remember, you've got Israel right in the middle of Israel, you've got Sea of Galilee with the Jordan River and the Dead Sea, and the, most of the children of Israel are on this side, the promised land. There is a section on this side where the two and a half tribes are, but Moab is down here, right alongside the Dead Sea below the promised land and below the land that was given to, to the, the, the two and a half tribes. So And Moab, if you remember, Moab and and the Ammonites, that's that's the children of Lot. Okay, remember? So they're kind of cousins, if you will, to the children of Israel. And their their land was not promised to Israel. So what happened is, and then, so Moab and Ammon, and then you got the Amalekites. They're kind of here south of Judah, if you will. They're a pain, but they're barely mentioned. But Moab makes an incursion. So Moab, here's the Dead Sea, here's Moab. They go above the Dead Sea and they go in and they attack Israel and they take the land. They take the city of Jericho, which remember, Jericho was destroyed. Okay, it was destroyed by Joshua. Remember, they pulled it all down and said it won't be rebuilt uh, for a long time. It was eventually rebuilt, but so it's just the ruins of the city of Jericho that he sets up this kind of a, uh, I don't know, kind of a foreign headquarters, if you will. And that's where he's ruling Israel from. So the king of Moab now kind of sits in the middle of his domain. You know, Israel on one side, Moab on the other, and they're at Jericho. So you got the picture. So it's not, it's not this time people inside the country, the, the Canaanites. It's, it's a group from out, outside the country that, that they come in. So the children of Israel still under oppression. No matter how you cut it, they're still under oppression. They've got to take tribute money, obviously. Okay. Don't think of this as you know, like out of the magnanimous attitude of the Israelites' heart, they're giving the king of Moab a present. No, probably they were required. Okay, and it wasn't like they had a little package. There was probably flocks of sheep and goats and camels. I mean, we're, we're talking. They had to bring tribute. They had to so they had to show. Yes, you're the leader. Here's what we're giving you for your protection you know, and for your kingship and all that stuff. So that's the idea. When it says present, again, look at the word, look it up. It means they're, they're tribute. So they're, they're the subservient. Here's the Israelites. They're under, they're, the, they're under the servants of the king of Moab, the children of Moab. And here's uh, Eglon. He's got his nice summer parlor built up and under the palm trees at Jericho and probably drinking out of the well, having himself a good old time. Obviously, he's having a pretty good time because the Bible says he's a very fat, Man. Now, when the Bible says he's very fat, you get the picture. We'll see how fat he is here in a little bit, at least a part of it. So, now again, just like everything else, God helps him. God, it says quite clearly that God, God prepares the deliverer, does it not? Okay. Um, I believe it's verse 15, is it verse? <clears throat> and yeah, verse 15, the Lord raised them up a deliverer, Ehad the son of Gera. So we'd have to assume all that was... True for Athniel and how God worked would be how God worked for, for Ehud. Okay? Um, it doesn't say that God enabled the deliverer, but God did Athniel. And if God raised up the deliverer, we'd have to assume that God gave him what he needed to be able to back that up. He leads the children of Israel back to obedience like Athniel did, which is what? Back to war, okay. Driving out people that don't belong in the land of Canaan, because they were obedient, they had victory, and God delivered their oppressor into their hand. The whole, the whole deal, okay. And again, we could even use the same thing from last time. A place where we don't have victory is probably, probably there because we've not yielded to the word of God. We've not been obedient to God's word, okay. In other words, they turned back to idolatry. They weren't worshiping God. They've, they've, they've disobeyed the direct or, uh, order of God through the, through the. Uh, five books of Moses and through all I mean all of it we have at this time so all the scripture they had at that time so I love the story and it is different isn't it I mean if you look at a lot of the other stories in scripture this one's just it's a lot of detail I mean there's there's a lot of word pictures in here and there's a lot of uh, very serious matter of fact a few things I had to look up like why does it say that he turned back by the quarries I mean what Like, we would know where the quarries are, and we don't. I mean, it's it's not just as clear as a bell. And so, I mean, a lot of these little things that, you know, while I love the story, as a preacher, when you're telling people, this is what this is all about. I'm looking at it going, it's a great story. What's this all about? (laughs) I mean, apart from the normal cycle of judges, okay? But there is something interesting in this whole story, as there's a lot of spy stuff. Like, this is one of those things, like, maybe I'm, again, my... The 13-year-old imagination coming out here. But it would be interesting to see if this turned into a movie. Because there's, there's a lot of intrigue in this whole thing. Uh, and another interesting thing is that he's a man left-handed. Now, I want to talk just a little bit about that. People have made different things out about that. Ehud is of the tribe of Benjamin. Okay, Now, the Benjamites are known for being left-handed or ambidextrous. Okay, so uh, Judges chapter twenty, Judges chapter twenty, which is we haven't got there yet. The children of Benjamin, verse fifteen and sixteen, were numbered at that time out of the cities twenty and six thousand men that drew sword, beside the inhabitants of Gibeah, which were numbered among them. Among all this people, there were seven hundred chosen men left-handed. Everyone could sling stones at a hairbreadth and not miss. First Chronicles twelve two. They were armed with bows and could use both right hand and the left. "...in hurling stones and shooting arrows out of a bow, even of Saul's brethren of Benjamin." So the fact that he's a Benjamite and left-handed is, believe it or not, kind of normal. Because Benjamites, left-handed or ambidextrous, that's kind of a normal thing. Now, for a bit, I used to ascribe to some of the ideas, some people used to say, that Ehud was injured in his right hand, that's why he's left-handed. And I've heard that several times. And then I found out the reason they get that is because a false version of the Bible changed the words to say, a man injured in his right hand, which is not what the Bible says. It says, a man left-handed. Okay, so out of another old version, not TR, they say he's injured in his right hand. Now, is it possible that he was injured in his right hand? Yes. Does the Bible say he was? No and and maybe i'm maybe I'm being a little bit over the top here, but I almost wonder if the reason we started saying stuff like that is because it became more sensitive topic, and we want to make sure we 're all inclusive so look, even if you have a a disability, God can use you well, if you can 't figure that out from all of scripture because we're all disabled, and most of us from the neck up, okay, and God uses so the weakness or greatness or strength or disability of who God uses is really irrelevant because God can use any tool that will submit himself to, to, the, to the work of God. Now, that's not to take away from the fact he may have been injured in his right hand. It just doesn't say that. It says he was left-handed. So this is one for all you left-handed people out there. I know of a couple of you, at least. So, so still, again, even in the Bible, being left-handed is a bit unusual. As literally, Ehud, I think, is the only major hero that's like really called out as being left-handed. So there you go, left-handed people, you've got one of your heroes in the Bible. And it's a great story. So, but it's not just about him being left-handed, is it? It's not just left-handed. So here's the thing that kept striking me about this whole thing. Is God raised up a deliverer in Ehud, but God just didn't exactly... Clear out all the pathways so that Ehud could just come in for a landing and a victory. There was a lot of hurdles. There's a lot of thinking and problems. Ehud had to walk through all these various ideas. Again, spy and intrigue. This is spy stuff. This is pure spy stuff. So let me just work through. I mean, it's not like he just jumped up and grabbed the trumpet. and Let's go kill the Moabites. You know? No, I mean, there was a lot of things. So let me just walk through some of the stuff. Number one. Because of how well, we'll follow it in the order of scripture. Number one, how's he going to kill him? He's got to start with Eglon. And and truthfully, I mean, it does appear that once Eglon was dead, half the battle was pretty much already won. Just because then they ran to the fords and stopped all the Moabites from running back. So, I mean, half the battle was in, in the king of Eglon. So how am I going to kill him? Well, you know, your first thing would be like, well, duh, you know. But no, this this is a company that's this is a country that's been subservient. Uh, they don't they don't like war, haven't had war. There might be swords left, but obviously Ehud does not have one, so he makes himself a dagger. He had to make his own weapon. He couldn't just walk into the weapons closet, go, you know. yeah, because you know if China ever took over the states, they'd let us keep our guns, wouldn't they? You, you get the picture. So Moab takes over Israel. It's not like they're just going to let everybody keep their swords. There probably was a Turn in your swords to the local guard station day. <laughs> and if you don't, we're coming by your house later to double check. Okay, so he has to make himself a dagger. Now, for those of you who are knife-knowledgeable, this is an Arkansas toothpick. What he's describing is an Arkansas toothpick. So if you don't know what that is, except the one difference being is this one may not have had a clear hilt, Okay. Uh, hard to say. So an Arkansas toothpick. When it says it's a cubit long, the knife is this long. It's it's 18 inches long, and eight, we would call that a short sword. In some, as a matter of fact, in most in most terminology, it would be literally be a short sword or an Arkansas toothpick. If you don't know what it is, it's yes, it's a thing. Arkansas toothpick is a thing. Uh, it can be between 12 and 20 inches long, and it, it's two sided, just like this. So. This is an 18-inch long blade. He's made it himself. Okay? Now, so just think about this. If, if he was injured in his right hand, how did he make the knife himself? And just, you know, anyways. But anyways, so, so two-sided, uh, and he, he makes this, and it's, it's big enough. And I don't know, I, why did he make such a big knife? Who was he attacking? Big knife for a big guy. I mean, I, there's. I mean, this is kind of kind of interesting, kind of clear. <laughs> the, the, uh, and if you think about this logically, why make an 18-inch long knife? This guy must have been when it says he's very fat. I mean, I don't just think we're not just talking about a 250-300 pounder here. This guy had to be a, a whopper because he's making a knife. <laughs> okay, guys, okay, He had to make a knife long enough to make sure that when he got in, he actually reached vital organs. Okay, did we all get in the. <laughs> This guy's pretty... <laughs> Anyways, a whole bunch of bad jokes going through my head right now. Shove them aside. That's not, the, not part of this right now. So, he had to be able to reach his vital organs. And, and he appears to have concealed it. It says he placed it under his raiment. Now, this is one of those things, again, where commentators... Sometimes you wonder like if they've ever actually studied real life things. But commentators, certainly, he concealed the weapon... You know, if his if his right hand was injured, then nobody would think to look on his right side. You know, for a weapon. And I'm going. Has anybody here ever noticed security that only checked out one side of anybody? Seriously, anybody here ever been through TSA? We know when they did the the pat pat down. Has anybody ever been a police officer? You know, or seen a police officer? Yeah. Oh, he's got his he's got his right hand in a cast. We don't need to check his right side, huh? Like, if you have a sword, where do you draw? Right-handed guys draw their sword from their left side. Isn't that interesting? So it always, always puzzled me why commentators would think, you know, because he's left-handed, they wouldn't think to look at the right side. I'm like, that's not even real life. Anyways, but anyways, that's just baloney. That's all that is. So, But it does appear that he tried to conceal it. Now, here's the deal. Evidently... With the spirit and attitude after 18 years between Israel and Moab, he could just stick it under his clothes and nobody would even think to look. Does this mean that the Israelites were such wusses that they knew they wouldn't even carry swords? No big deal. They're not even going to carry swords. Or that they think they're not going to attack us. We got it too big. We got too many great guys here. Nobody's going to come in here. So somehow the security was lax enough where he was able to bring in a concealed weapon, okay, under his, under his raiment, that's what it says, it's concealed, under his raiment, on his right side. Now, that's first problem. How am I going to kill it? Okay, well, I'm going to use a dagger. Well, I don't have a dagger. I guess I'll have to make a dagger. So he has to make a dagger. He has to think about how long the dagger needs to be to actually kill Eglon. Okay, so he makes a long enough one to do it. And, I don't know, if, if anybody here ever seen a, an Arkansas, has anybody here ever seen an Arkansas toothpick when I say that? You know what I'm talking about? Okay, I know, Trenton, I'm not surprised. Okay. That, that we're not talk This thing is not designed for skin and deer, okay. An Arkansas toothpick is, it's I mean just a long, pointy, sharp. It's what it's for, okay. So this whole thing, he's got to think about how am I going to get it in? Well, I'm going to conceal it, okay. Got to get it past security. So somehow or other, this this is able to conceal it. Now he's got another problem. How is Ehud going to get access to Eglon? It's not like just any old Israelite can walk in and say. Hey, like to see the king? So somehow or other, we don't know how. Probably somewhat by the movement of God, because God raised him up. Ehud maneuvers himself, where he becomes the leader of a group that is taking the tribute to the king. Don't know how he did it, but he's there. He ends up not just being on the group; he is the one who's presenting the present. So he ends up being the leader. So he. Uh, this, this is a process. How does he do that? I mean, is it such a vile job that he's able to volunteer, and it's no problem? I, I don't want to add or take away from Scripture, but listen, this is another hurdle that he had had to walk through. Somehow he had to end up not just being, being on the group, but being on the group with enough uh, political uh, brownie points that Eglon would actually pay attention to him, that would actually listen to what he has to say, Okay. So Ehud, Ehud shows up. He manages to get on the group. So, I mean, that's spycraft big time right there. Work your way into the position where you can have access to the target, okay? How am I going to kill the target? How am I going to get access to the target? And then here's another thing. He's got, bunch, he's got a whole delegation of people with him that have come with him to present, the, present this present, that they don't have any part of this. They're just innocents. So now he's got to think, Okay, so I need to have a, I need to have a weapon enough to kill him. I need to have access to him. But I can't put innocent people in danger in case this thing falls through the floor. If this thing goes south, I've got to be able to protect them. So, again, he's got to walk through this. Oh, how am I going to do this? So, Well, you know, I mean, number one, you know, he hauls out a knife and stabs him They're in front of all these people. Not everybody knows how to just shut up and be quiet when that happens. Some people are going to scream and go, ah, what are you doing? You're going to kill us all. I mean, you know. So he's got to, okay, we got to get rid of them because they can't distract from it. But also, if it's a whole lot harder to sneak out a whole delegation of people than it is just one guy slipping out the back door. Okay? So he's, he begins walking back with them. Okay? And so he, he gets rid of them. And then he turns back. Now, he had to have a reason again. He's got to have another reason, a viable reason, to be able to gain a private audience with the king. So not only now, so he's got access, he's in Jericho with the king because of being able to bring the tribute money, but now he's got to have another viable reason to literally have a private one-on-one audience with the king. You know, because a security team would just allow anybody just to have private access to our president, right? Walk in, hey, I need to talk to the, pre- to the president alone. Can you arrange that? Yeah, no. That's not happening. Right? That's, but now if if uh, if the ambassador of England was to walk in and say, I need a private audience with the king, you reckon they might be able to work something out? Yeah, there'd be something worked out. Okay? So Ehud has to have political clout enough, enough position, enough Working enough spycraft where when he comes back, he can, he can say, listen, I have been sent on a secret errand unto the O king. Well, there's truth. He's saying the truth. Ehud is saying one truth and Eglon is hearing another. <laughs> okay? So, so what is, I, I love, what's verse 19? You know, verse 19, I've got a secret under the room. And what do he say? No, be quiet. Shut up. Don't, don't, just stop talking right there. Why? Because he don't trust the other people in the room we need to clear the room. If you've got something we need to talk about, I'm not trusting these people. It just needs to be between you and me. So obviously, again, I don't know what the political climate is at the time or how Eglon understands political intrigue, but somehow he understands, okay, he's got something political we need to talk about, and I don't want all these people around to hear it. We've got to talk privately one-on-one. So I don't know whether this whole thing now moves to, to, to Eglon's summer parlor or, or if this whole thing started there, it sounds to me like at some point now they, so a summer parlor, we're talking about a very small suite of rooms, possibly only two rooms and a porch. Okay, that's pretty much it. Two rooms and a porch, just a little private thing that it's said. And it even says that he kept just for himself. Um, do, 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 verse 20, and he had came unto him and he was sitting in a summer parlor, which he had for himself alone. Okay, so somewhere in here, Eglon's in his summer parlor. It's just a place where he can just be by himself. Leave me be. I just want to. I just want to be by myself here. Okay, so and Ehud. That is interesting. There's probably a bathroom in this thing or a chamber pot of some sort. And one of the commentators says, "What are the lessons from this whole story? Never lock yourself in the bathroom with an assassin." Yeah, that's pretty good. I think that's probably a pretty fair point. But anyways, that's not the point we're going for. So now that he's got the secret errand, now that he's got the king, it's just Eglon and him all by himself. Now, again, this is Ehud from Israel. And Israel is the subservient country. They are are subdued and under the rule of not just the king of Moab, but Moab general. Okay, so this isn't like the king's now the king of Israel and the king of Moab. No, he's the king of Moab, and the Israelites are our servants. So, what position do you think? And again, it's not in scripture, but I'm just using logic. What position do you think that Ehud is in right now? He is in some sort of a, some sort of subservient position. He's either in a bow, maybe he's on the ground. I don't know. It depends on the attitude of Eglon. Uh, did he make him? You know, did he make him go all the way down and kiss his feet? Did he have to get down and kiss his ring? I mean, for heaven's sakes, you know what's the story? If you go visit the queen, there has to be a certain there's to be a certain head nod or a bow. If you go visit um, people in other countries, sometimes you have to be low. If you bow, you have to be lower than they are. He's in some sort of subservient position, and the king is sitting down as a king would be. Okay, so he says, "Here's the deal. I have a message from God unto thee." Now that's also true. <laughs> That's also true. It's just two in two different ways. Ehud thinking, yeah, I got, I got about an 18-inch long piece of metal message for you. And, of course, Ehud's on a whole nother plane. Now, here's, <laughs> here's the thing. You know, it's going to be a hard message to take, isn't it? Tough pill to swallow. You all with me? Come on now. This is a fun story. Not, so, look at verse 19. There's something interesting in here, and I, I don't understand why it said it. So, verse 19, but he himself turned again from the quarries that were by Gilgal and said, I have a I'm like, okay, great. The Bible doesn't include fluff. What's this about? What are the quarries? So, so I, I looked up the word quarries. You know what the word quarries is directly connected to? Idols. It's, it literally is where they probably were making the idols, quar- a, quar- a rock quarry where they were making the idols. For Moab and maybe the Canaanites and maybe even as far back as the people of Jericho, I don't know. So when Ehud is coming back, he is he is literally coming back from idols in the process of being made, idols that are made and waiting to be delivered or shipped or placed in their proper spot, and possibly there was a row of idols in example on there. I don't know, but many people say that near the quarries there was a bunch of idols. Uh, Idols already set up at this time. I don't know that, but I do know this. The quarries are where they made the idols. This is all of, the quarries are all about idolatry. So when, when Ehud says, I have a message from God, he uses the word Elohim. Okay, Elohim, which we would understand as God. He does not use the word Jehovah. Jehovah is a very specific God. Elohim is the word used by all the people of the day for their God. Okay, so I have a message from, here's Ehud thinking Elohim, capital E. And here's, here's Eglon over there, quite possibly, knowing, knowing the direction that Ehud has come from, from over there by the idols, thinking Elohim, little e. And Elohim can is a plural word. Our God, God is a three-in-one person. Elohim, a plural word. I'm very interested this whole process. So here's here's evidently, Eglon is thinking, now, would Eglon, the god of Moab, would he stand for God Jehovah? Maybe, but they didn't have the best relationship with Jehovah. But would he stand for the Moabite idols? Yes, because when Eglon hears it's a message from God, it says he stands. Now, even a king in a message from God is going to stand in honor of of the God that is, being, that, that is giving the message. So Ehud says, I'm going to give you this message. King Eglon stands to honor the message that's coming from God and the message came. <laughs> 18 inches of steel. Now, I just want you to... Okay. Has anybody, has anybody here ever skinned a deer? I'm, I'm try, I don't want to be too disgusting here, but it always surprised me how it, it's easier than you think. To, to get a knife into flesh. But at the same time, the amount of force it took to get a blade that long into a guy that big, I mean, he, he, wasn't, he wasn't trying to bunt down the third baseline. You get the picture. He's swinging for the fences. However he did it, it says he stabs him in the belly. So whether he's going, I mean, my brain ran through all sorts. So did he, he got it from his right thigh. So did he pull it out like this and go like that? Did he pull it out like this and go like this? But he stabs him in the belly. He's a pretty fat man, so there's lots of belly to choose from, okay? And he stabs him literally so hard that the knife goes all the way in, and he has like, "Give me my knife back!" Hey, <laughs> I'm kind of wondering what the interaction was between the two of them. Boom! And they're looking at each other. He's going, uh, uh, uh. <laughs> He'll go, "What are you doing? I'm just..." And he, can't, he literally can't get the knife out because the man is so fat that the fat parts to get the knife in and then closes back and it's done deal. He's not getting that knife back. It, you know, hope you enjoyed making it because that's the last he's see of that knife. It's not coming back. So 18 inches of knife go in. Now, again, this is, this is something Ehud must have thought about. Think about this. He knows he can't just go, Peep. he can't just stick him. You know, I mean, literally, the heart is not that far below the surface of, of our chest. I mean, if you want to know the details, talk to Brother Luke. I'm sure he can can get to, you know, he can know you. But it doesn't take too many inches of steel to get to where you're affecting the heart. And he did, or the lungs, or any type of internal organs. And so Ehud's knowing, this guy is big enough. I'm really going to have to get in there to make sure I'm hitting a vital organ. So he's, he's thought through this. One swipe... Wham! Far enough, hard enough to get all the way in to make sure he hits vital organs. And obviously, evidently, I'm, I'm guessing the king, it must have been pretty serious because uh, he doesn't cry out. Uh, it, it says he thrust it in his belly and a half went in after the blade. Verse 22, and the fat closed and he could not pu- pull it out. I mean, now here's where the story gets a little bit gross, okay? So the haft goes in after the blade. The fat closes upon the blade so he can't draw it out. And then it says the dirt came out. Okay? He messed his britches. He messed his britches. That's what that means. So you, you can look it up for yourself, look up the word dirt. Now, now, it's possible that the dirt came out of the wound. It's possible that he messed his britches. Uh, again, if you, eventually dead people do mess their britches. Okay? And with the force of how he hit him, uh, or let's say they messed their britches, stuff comes out because things, you know, anyways. He might have hit him so hard, I don't know. But whatever it is, he messed his britches, okay? So he does that, then Ehud, I'm, I'm just as, <laughs> I'm just, this just cracks me up, this whole bit. So now Ehud has to have a way of escape. And again, this is thinking on his feet now, because now there's not been any noise, Ehud's maybe thinking, I'm just going to kill him, perhaps my life is over, I don't know. So the king evidently doesn't cry out, nobody comes around and he's like, okay, now we can escape. So he locks the door, shuts him up, looks around, walks off like, well, I'm done. I'm sure he probably wiped off his hands if there was anything, you know, blood or whatever, got it all cleaned up. Walks off, you know, I'm sure I would have been going, you know, don't look back, don't look back. Don't look nervous. I mean, think about all this. This Ehud's going through a lot of hurdles and steps to get to the point where he can say, let's go kill the Moabites. He ain't there yet. So, he he gets out. He finds there's some separate door available, which they tell me is probably the architecture of the day. And now the king's servants, again, we get into more of that gross stuff. Okay? So, Verse 24, when he's gone out, his servants came, and when they saw that, behold, the doors of the parlor were locked. They said, Surely he covered his feet in a summer chamber. So this is one of those lovely phrases that, is, that it has to have context. Because cover, cover his feet, cover their feet, cover your feet, in the Old Testament um, is, a, is a euphemism often, and it has to have context because it's, it's like our word cool. It can be used for so many different things. Okay, it literally can be taking a nap. Uh, It and in this case, it literally is using the restroom. Okay, they think he's in there going to the bathroom. Well, why would they think that? Let's remember he messed his britches. Okay, if he messed his britches, I'm sure there's an interesting odor wafting from the summer parlor that would give them the thought that perhaps. He's in there using the restroom. We'll just give him some time. We'll just let him be by himself until it got literally so long. Okay, he's not answering. Something's not right. And they go in, they find him dead on the floor. And yes, he, he was also using the restroom. So, and Ehud escapes. So Ehud escapes. Now, are his problems over? No. The king's dead, but they haven't beaten Moab yet. And he can't beat the army of Moab by himself. Okay? So what does he do? He goes out. He blows a trumpet. This is the way they did things in those days. I'd maybe like to see a review of what all this means, blowing a trumpet. Because I'm thinking if we stepped out in the middle of nowhere out here and blew a trumpet, a couple dogs bark, some guy drive by, what's going on? What are you doing over here? But for somehow for them, blowing a trumpet... Uh, You know, I don't know, maybe there were signal fires or maybe other people blew trumpets and it spread across Israel. And a whole bunch of people from Israel gathered and they meet him. And he says, perhaps he tells a little bit of the story, but eventually he says, hey, God has delivered them into my hand. Let's go. And without seemingly without a second thought, they follow in. So Ehud has to now gather an army. He's got to convince them to follow him. And Lord, I think the Lord had some of that too. He has to tell them, convince them, listen, God has already given us the deliverance. And then he has to lead them on to victory. So, now remember our map. Okay? So, he has sneaked into Jericho, stabbed Hefty, can't get his knife back. Man, I was going to use that in the coming battle. Rats! So, so, he has to go back, get everybody together. So, now what they do, they make a beeline for the spot where all the Moabites are going to be running back to Moab. So evidently, kill King Eglon, people are getting scared. Oh my goodness, the Israelites are finally discovered they can beat us. Run! I don't know. So they're running back to Moab, and the Israelites say, No, you ain't. So they run down to the forge with a spot where they cross the river to get back to Moab. There's only so many places you can cross a river safely. Usually it's where the, the... the river is wide and shallow, so you can walk across without getting too, you know, too much uh, current to pull you down river. And so they, they run down there and they wait for all the moabites, and here they come and they, and they kill. They proceed to kill 10,000 Moabite men, and it says that these men are lusty, stout. Now, the, you could use the word "fat" also here. That it works both ways, but it says that they were men of valor. So we would have to assume that it means stout. These are big warrior men, and they killed 10,000 of them. I mean, they, they, they wiped them out. And th- this is an interesting thing. When it says in verse 30, listen, so Moab was not beaten. Moab was, what's the word? They were subdued. We're talking complete reversal of roles. Moab is now under the subservience of Israel. They're not, they're not just driven out. They are now paying tribute back to Israel. I mean, it's completely, it's com- they are, they're not going to come back for a long time uh, after this. A long, long time. They beat them. And Ehud, this story, it says, the land had rest four score years. That is the longest recorded time of peace in the book of Judges. Eighty years of peace. Longest recorded time. It's a great story, isn't it? It really is. I love the story. I mean, it's, and I would encourage you, just go look up, look up some of the words if you're interested in that. I really do, I can picture this. I'm you know, I'm seeing right next to Ehud on the wall would be the plaque of JL. You know. So here's Ehud, and it'll have an eight it'll have Ehud up there with an eighteen inch dagger in his hand. And with JL it'll have a tent stake and a hammer in your hand. So if you know who JL is, you know, she's the guy that Yeah, anyways. So and I kept thinking about this. I love the story, it's great. He's a judge, he delivered Israel, just like every other judge does. But why include? There's a there's a lot to this story. I mean, even all the gross stuff. I mean, so I you know it's not like God doesn't understand some of us. Some of us like some of that stuff. So, what about this? Is useful for us? Well, I think it goes without saying that not all problems are the same. You're on. While the problem may be the same, the way to beat it may not be... Sometimes it's pretty straightforward, isn't it? I mean, you know, what, what does the Bible tell... If you're a thief, um, what, do you, what is a thief you do? You steal no more. Okay? What, if you're a liar, what do you do? You tell the truth. Literally, that's the Bible's answer. If you're a liar, what, what, is it, what should a liar begin to do? A liar should purposely begin telling the truth. If he's going to help beat his lying, he's got to purposely start telling the truth. Not, not don't tell a lie... He has to purposefully tell the truth. But this is one of those things where Ehud's faced with a problem where I'm the deliverer and I know the main problem is Eglon and I don't know how to get to him. There's a lot of strategy. There's a lot of thinking. There's a lot of planning. There's a lot of preparation involved in almost every step of this thing for Ehud, for Lefty, to get to Hefty before he can just say, follow me, we're going to go beat him. Remember, that's what Othniel did. Othniel said, you all are, have been sinners. You need to repent before God. Great, now let's go beat him. That's what Othniel got to do. Ehud didn't get that option. Ehud had to go, how am I going to do this? i got to start thinking like a spy. It's not like swords are available. Guess I'll have to make one. Well, it's not like I have access to the king guess I'll have to figure out and put myself in a position to get access to the king. You hear that? He had to walk through problem after problem and plan and plan ahead of time. Not all problems that we face are solved the same way. You know, that's what we want. God, Lord, forgive me of my sin. Please, you know, I ask that you help me not do that again and get up. Off I go. Woohoo, it's all done. Some problems, you understand that people there's times my, my dad used to say, he said some people get their lives so messed up you'd think they had a plan to get that messed up. I, I remember him talking about somebody walking in and starting dumping all their their things, you know about. And he said it was like a it was like somebody dumped a fifty five gallon drum of loose ends on my desk and wanted me to have them all tied up in one counseling session. It's like, man, how did you get this messed up? This is let's say one of, one of us gets to lead a Mormon to the Lord who has four wives some people say well it's simple just divorce them all and you know hold on he has to be a Christian he has to do it properly hey, hear me? That can anybody see an immediate, obvious way for him to get everything right out of having four wives in the next couple days or the next few minutes? No, it's probably going to take some effort and some work and some thinking and some planning. Billy Sunday, when he got saved, was a professional ball player. It means he had contracts. He had fans. He had responsibility to a team, to teammates. You hear what I'm saying? Not everything Everything in our life, not every even sin that we get involved with. What's what's a man going to do? A man going to do who has, who has involved himself with, with sin so much that he is maybe involved with the mafia. I know people have been saved from the mafia or the mob. How are you going to get out of that one? Well, just walk away. It's not always that simple. And some of you have problems and you're looking at them saying, you know, I got this sin problem and I wish God would just take it away. It's not always that simple. Sometimes God God provides deliverance that requires us to use a little bit of thought process to think, how does the enemy think here? I'll just give you a good one. I'll tell you, men who are any any addiction whatsoever, that men who are addicted to porn or any addiction whatsoever, some people have the ability to quit cold turkey because they 're not actually addicted. they just like the results. you understand it 's not like for everything that God for every substance abuse that God just reaches in and takes the, the the physical response of the body away. you understand like if you if you were to win someone to the Lord who has been taking who's been on heroin or uh, Meth. Let's just use meth. You will win someone to the Lord that has a long history of, of using meth. If you tell them to just quit, you are basically signing their death warrant. Because you cannot come off of meth cold turkey. It will kill you. The DTs literally will kill you. But there is a way to come off of it. There's a thing called methadone. That, that you have to give and slowly draw off that. You know, and as a Christian, we say, well, you should just quit. You know, not all problems, not all sin problems are just, you know, shunk, it's over. We won. Yoo-hoo. No, some things take thought and strategy and process, and sometimes a little bit of gross stuff. <laughs> I'm just throwing it in there, but it's kind of interesting. Not all sins are just boom. No, some... Now, and here's another thought. Let's look at Ehud. Ehud's not right-handed. He's different from the majority of the people. He's different. He thinks different. He doesn't have the same tools everyone else had. He had to make his own tool. He had to make his own plan. You know what? Is he still, was he still obeying the the ultimate result of what God's word said to do? Yes. His method was different, but the obedience was the same. Now remember, this is a time of war. Methods are different. But the obedience is the same. Well, you should just go door knocking. Door knocking is the only way to do this. Okay, 95% of the people I live here are all uh, closed communities, gated communities. How do I door knock? I'm disobeying God because I'm not door knocking. Door knocking is not the command. Reaching every creature is the command. So how are you going to reach every creature behind the gate? If you can't door knock, there must be other ways. You hear what I'm saying? Sometimes you have to step back, look at a problem, and think. Hmm. After COVID, everybody loves answering the door. Have you been out door knocking with us and have talked to people? It's been interesting. Some people are like, yeah, what do you want? Just passing this out. Oh, okay, thank you. Other people are like, somebody to talk to. Oh, Dakota and I were hitting one of those. <laughs> knock, knock, knock. Hey, we're just here from church. Oh, I remember church. I used to go to church. And then and then on to his, his sister and his mom and... Grandma and grandma's sickness and back to my sister and her sickness and this is why I don't talk to them. And you're going, thank you very much. We need to, uh-huh. <laughs> COVID's made it interesting at door knocking. That doesn't mean we shouldn't be reaching every creature. How do we reach every creature? Amen. You hear what I'm saying? I'm using, I'm, I'm broadening out the application a little bit here. But the, app, the actual application is to sin. They had to extricate themselves for sin. Are you following the directions of God's word? Yes. Are your methods a bit different? Yes. Are they unbiblical? No. Then go after it. Go after it. Not all problems are just raise the sword and go. Now, I do want to just make a disclaimer here real quick. Okay? won't be too long, but I want to make a disclaimer. Um, it's not like I am lifting up Ehud's response to problems as a great way to take care of things. Haul out a knife and go kill somebody. Okay? It's interesting that even when Paul recounted a list, a quick list of judges, he actually skipped over Ehud and J.L. Because they weren't exactly approved in, you know, civil court. It was war. You hear know what I'm saying? It's not like all your problems, just go out and murder somebody, it all gets great. That's not what we're talking about here. That's not even the idea. But the part, here's the thought. Not, not everything has a smooth clean extrication. And listen, you have problems like that and some of the people you're going to lead to have, have sin problems that it's not just a walk in the park to get back out. Some, like I say, some things, I remember my dad talking about God reached in and t- took away he was uh, smoking in cigarettes smoking in cigarettes. And he said God took away my desire for cigarettes instantaneously and let me deal with the alcohol part. And that's how God works sometimes. Why? Because sometimes you know what God wants us to put some, a little bit of thought, a little bit of effort into. How am I going to beat this? Now, granted, listen, answers are almost always here. The answers to it are here, but he might he might have you be picking out the methods, the methods. Okay, I'm going to use this this illustration, and we'll uh, we'll leave it be. So. Uh, as a, young, as a teenage boy walking through, trying to figure out how to deal with my own uh, uh, fleshly desire to, to see naked ladies. Okay, that's a, that's a natural thing for a guy. It's not right to go look, but it's natural. The flesh, it's natural. It's what it wants to do. And so, as a young man trying to learn how to beat that sin, I, I've looked at, you know what, God wants me to quit. I need to quit. What process am I going to use so I'm not all the time finding myself looking, looking for flesh somewhere? Or walking through the mall, for heaven's sakes, just walk through the mall. Or walk past a gas station store where they're selling magazines. And trying to find myself looking in the spots where I'm supposed to be looking. Okay? And don't act like y'all are holy rollers, more spiritual. And uh, most of the, 80% of the guys in this room know exactly, probably more, exactly what I'm talking about. And you know what? I had to find out processes that worked for me. Remember my wife and I, I told you about before? My wife and I would go, wife would say, don't look over there. And all I hear, I hear is a voice and a point. And what, what, is I, what do I do? Huh? Oh! <laughs> and after a while it was, my wife and I, we both learned, look over there. Oh, yeah. What, what am I looking at? Just keep looking over there. Oh, gotcha. This is great. Yep. I'm just going to look over there for a while. Isn't that farm nice as we're driving by the billboard over there that's wicked? You know, hey, look, look, look at the five hour energy drinks up here on the counter for sale. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Aren't those, look at those pretty colors. Or what, I'll tell you one great thing, call them up practicing the bounce. Your eyes stop somewhere where you probably shouldn't be looking, you just bounce right on somewhere else. Here, here somebody had to think through a process. How am I going to beat this? What are some practical ways that I can fulfill the the obligation that God has given me for my life in reference to sin well God should just take it away well he's going to do that, he's going to give deliverance but maybe you also should put some effort into thought on how you, what you are going to do to limit your access to the things that are giving you trouble amen what are you going to do to maybe kill the problem that has got some oppression in your life what processes are you going to walk through amen, this is good not all sins just float away like butterflies and disappear. Some need, us, some need us to work at it, think on it, and walk through it. The story of lefty and hefty, spies and intrigue and assassination and war. Amen. Let's pray. Father.